Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of the Spanish Football Podcast. Hello, Sydney. Hello, Philip. How are you? I'm well, thank you. How are you, my friend? Not too bad, thank you. Uh, ready for another busy week covering uh, yeah. Spanish teams <laughs> yeah. who play football. It should be it should be really busy this week, shouldn't it, with the Clasico and all the all the Champions League in the middle as well. Yes, very busy, but just how we like it. Yes, absolutely. So, match day 10. This is what happened uh, on the 10th round of fixtures uh, in La Liga EA Sports. Friday night saw Osasuna get their first home win of the season. Finally, uh, they beat Granada by two goals to nil. Then on uh, Saturday, uh, La Real rode their luck a little bit, but still managed to claim a 1-0 victory over Mallorca. Getafe and Betis played out a 1-1 draw at the Coliseum Alfonso Pérez. Sydney bizarrely, was not at a Getafe home game because uh, he was several hundred kilometres down the road covering Sevilla 1, Real Madrid 1, which would have been the story of the weekend had something not happened late on in Catalonia on Sunday evening. Uh, we saw also Athletic, uh, Atletico Madrid uh, beating Celta Vigo by three goals to nil at Balaidos. All three goals scored by a superb Antoine Griezmann, uh, his first hat-trick for five years. Uh, <laughs> Not necessarily his best performance, not necessarily Atletico Madrid's best performance, but goodness me, Griezmann is just brilliant. And then on Sunday, the mighty Rayo Vallecano beat Las Palmas by a goal to nil thanks to a 91st minute winner from Bebe from the penalty spot. Absolutely brilliant yeah, stuff. From, Bebe. Yeah, Bebe. Yeah, I knew you were going to say I lo- that. I, I love knew. that. I know. Uh, but yeah, he came on, he scored a penalty. Rayo have had massive problems in scoring penalties uh, this season, but no problems for Bebe. Uh, hashtag always watch Girona. We've been telling you for a good while now, okay? You've been warned, guys. So you should have done your homework. You should have watched Girona uh, this weekend. If you did, you would have seen them come from 2-0 down at home to beat Almeria by five goals to two. It was first game in charge for new Almeria boss, Gaisca Garitano. Started well, didn't end well. They're still bottom of the table. They're still winless and with a really, really terrible defensive record. Uh, Villarreal and Alaves played out a 1-1 draw. It's still not looking good for Pacheta as manager of Villarreal. Just one win in the six games he's played so far in La Liga EA Sports. And Pressure beginning to build on him. And then on Sunday evening in Catalonia, as mentioned, we had quite a cameo off the bench. Mark Gu. Did I say it right, Sydney? Mark Gu? Mark Gu? Mark Gu. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've heard Mark Gu, but I think it's Mark Gu. It's, essentially, it's Gu. Mark Gu. Mark Gu. Uh, coming off the bench uh, to score uh, the only goal of the game as Barcelona beat Athletic Club by one goal to nil. Mark Gu is 17 years and 292 
days old. Uh, extraordinary performance from him, scoring after 33 seconds to be the match winner for Barca. Uh, Monday night football is Valencia against Cadiz. So let's get to the talking points. Before that, let's tell you about Patreon, because it's going to be another very busy week over at patreon.com forward slash TSFP. Our patrons are getting a Q&A pod on Tuesday, a bonus pod talking Champions League on Thursday, and a brand new episode of TSFP Presents More Super Seasons. Plus there's Al's paper reviews and the TSFP Discord, all for around four euros, quid, dollars a month. Come and join us. It's good fun. The talking points then. We were going to start, obviously, in Seville with Sergio Ramos playing Real Madrid at the Ramon Sanchez Bijuan. But obviously, Mark Gu changed all that by coming off the bench yeah. to, to score for Barcelona in that 1-0 win over Athletic Club. Now, Sid, be smug. Be very smug. You're allowed to be extremely <laughs> smug. It's our podcast. We can do whatever we like. You had included him in The Guardian's Next Generation 2023. So you knew, Sydney. you knew about this kid. Yeah, I, I mean, he was he was actually on the bench for the game against uh, Granada, which, which, of course, was in the end uh, marked by, by Brian Thadagotha. And, and, and I remember thinking all the way through that, partly because we had identified him at The Guardian. I'm, I'm not going to claim... Too much credit here. Essentially, what happens is I go to um, people I know who work. You delegate. The, I, well, I, I effectively delegate in the sense that I go to I go to people who scout um, and and scout at that kind of age and, and ask them who they think are the outstanding players. And I normally draw up a slightly longer than three man shortlist and then end up with three or sometimes four to talk about. And this year it was it was Mark. It was. Um, Rajado Atletico and it was John Martina Real Sociedad. Let's see if those two end up getting first team chances this season. Um, anyway, I was there at Granada and, and, and he had been included on the bench and there were two forwards, him and my God, my mind's gone blank. can't remember who the other youth team forward was because of course Robert Lewandowski is out. And I was struck that partly because I was kind of looking for him and when I'd seen the team shit, I thought, I'm really excited. The first time he's included in the squad, I'm there at the game to see it. Maybe he'll play. Maybe I'll get the chance to see him live in the first team. And he didn't even warm up. <laughs> and, and I thought, oh, that was slightly disappointing because Barcelona were chasing the game. And I thought, if, you, if, if you're not playing the forwards when you're chasing the game, I kind of thought, wait, well, it feels like maybe it's a pity that, well, what, why even take them? Of course, that's not entirely fair because you take them to give them experience of the get-together, to give them first-team experience of travelling with the rest of the players and so on. He's been play, training with his squad for, for quite a lot of this season. Um, he's actually only played once, even for the Barcelona B team, because he's in the, in the Juvenil, which is the, the under-19s. Yeah. yeah, you'd call it the under-19s, wouldn't you? And he's been playing in the... In the youth league, he's uh, an under-17 international with Spain, scoring a lot of goals. And, and he didn't play that day. And to be honest with you, I didn't expect him to get on the pitch last night. And he came on. He hadn't, hadn't been warming up for very long. It's one of the interesting things about it. He, he, he'd only been warming up for kind of a minute and a half, two minutes. It's not mm. like he'd been there for a while. I, I think Xavi just thought, OK, we do this. He gets on the pitch and 33 seconds later, he scores. 23 seconds worth of uh, game time, by the way, because the game was actually stopped for 10 seconds or so mm. as, as he went on. Uh, just just extraordinary and a different type of player to the, if you like, the classic Barcelona La Masia product. He's taller, he's quicker, he's quite strong. He's, he's not a player where you look at him, and essentially fundamentally because he's not a midfielder, I suppose, but he's not a player of kind of technical quality in tight spaces, though I actually think technically he's pretty good. And certainly the people who've seen much more of him than me tell me that he's technically pretty good, but it's, that, it's those other qualities that make him stand out. 
and he took it very well. He certainly did. I mean, you know, we could uh, we could give you a sort of brief overview about uh, Mark Gu, but he's not a player that neither either of us have seen uh, much of, and we don't know too much about. I think maybe what this is perhaps uh, more useful uh, to do is to use this as a springboard for perhaps a, a conversation about uh, La Masia and how it seems mm. to be churning out these players more regularly and at a younger age. Of course, as you mentioned, he's in an under-19 squad. He's jumping from there almost straight into the first team, as Gavi did, as Ansu Fati did, as Lamin Yamal did. Uh, they're not going through the Barca B. And if you're good enough, you're old enough. And I've been speaking to a, a friend of mine who came through the La Masia Youth Academy and made his debut uh, for uh, Barcelona, played once and then went and played in the Premier League and all, all, all around. Andrea Orlandi, you might know who he is if you watch La Liga yep. TV or Dazone here in Spain. And he was telling me all, all, all about this because I've been writing about this today. And he says, as Xavi said, he looks at these players and they don't have fear in their eyes. And they don't have fear in their eyes because they're so integrated into the first team setup already. So the, the majority of under-19s players are already training with the first team a few times a week. So mm. that helps in terms of uh, integration. And Ray was telling me also, Barca are really, really big on not just the, you know, the footballing talent aspect. Physically, you need to be ready. Not necessarily have to be physically strong, but you need to be ready physically, but also the emotional aspect of this as well. And they play a huge, pay a huge attention to this and really make it very, very significant for them that as you, your situation as a human being, as Andrea put it to me. So you need to be emotionally happy and they actually do training exercises to m sort of make you happy, make you experience situations where you're happy um, to make sure that you're emotionally ready for this kind of thing. So that goes some way to explaining. And then there's another point is that this is a youthful dressing room, isn't it? So yes. Andrea was telling me when I went into there, he made his debut in 2006, he said there were some monsters in there. I don't think he meant sort of, you know, horrible people, but he just meant, you know, huge players, enormous players, with this aura around them and you just did not feel comfortable around them. This is a really young squad. So some of the, even the most important players, you know, even Gavi, who's a leader, uh, Ronald Araujo came through the Youth Academy. Pedri didn't come through the Youth Academy, but he's still young. There isn't this... Um, terrifying aura for the young players who are coming into the first team squad and, and even the dressing room and that's also sort of self-perpetuating isn't it so the more young teamers come through and more come and feel more comfortable they make themselves first team players and then other young team players come through and feel more comfortable so that's helping as well so um, I think you know it's, it's, it's important that we discuss the success yeah. of La Masia because as Mark Gu himself said yesterday La Masia is working yeah, and, and there's a couple of things there to pick up on. One of them is is just, just to pick up on what Andrea was saying to you, that idea of integrating them within it even before they're playing. So, of course, what we see last night is a kid that's come from nowhere. What Barcelona hmm. see is a kid that's making the last step of a very long process. And we sometimes forget this, that we see this as the start. For a lot of them, it's the end. Now, obviously, the hope is that it doesn't become the end. And actually, I think this is one of the risks for young players sometimes, is that they see the reaching of the first team as their objective all the way through their lives. And so for hmm. some players, not necessarily at Barcelona, and this is one of the reasons why they'll be looking at this and, and why... That's really interesting what you're saying, that idea of teaching them to be prepared for happiness, to not just go, hmm. I've done it. And I think there is sometimes that risk, is that we see the start, they see the end, it's there, I've done it, I'm here, it's, it, it's okay. And actually, you need then to, to kind of set the next set of goals and the next set of targets. And, and that, that, of course, then speaks to what I was saying before, is that last week, in, or sorry, the week before in Granada, watching them there, I was thinking, well, why have you even travelled if you're not going to get on when your team really mm -hmm. needs a forward? Well, this is part of the reason why. Because this mm. 
you know, this is about that integration. And also, you know, the, the, the moments in the game maybe mean that managers want different types of things, maybe the, the, the environment around it or the type of opportunities that you think will happen. And, 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 and he made the point yesterday, didn't he? He said that Xavi had said to him, go on there and press the defence and a chance will fall. And if hmm. it does, obviously, hopefully you'll take it. But it's, it was more about just go and run at them, go and go and go and go and press them, go and close them down, go and go and be kind of energetic. In the, in, in the immortal words of Harry Redknapp, run around a bit. Yeah, <laughs> just uh, run around it. Run around, around a, bit. a bit. Yeah, yeah. And 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 that's that's quite interesting. And and, and as uh, and as um, as Andrea talks about that idea of the young players, listening to 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 Mark last night. He was mm. asked, wasn't he, who had most helped him in the dressing room? And he said, Araujo mm. and the younger players mm. that have been through this. Mm. So I think he mentioned Lamine. Uh, I think he said Lamine and, and Alejandro and, and the rest, the rest of the younger players. But he mentioned uh, Araujo. And I think Araujo is interesting because Araujo is that nice combination, I suppose, from an emotional mm-hmm. point of view, of being someone who came through La Masia. And I can sense people mm. leaping at this point, And this is where I say, but... Not entirely coming through La Masia, in the sense that this is a guy who comes quite old. So he comes as a foreigner joining a structure that he hasn't been part of his whole life. But he does Mm -hmm. begin at non-first team level. And so he has seen the difficulties of arriving, but also that sense of kind of sort of belonging to La Masia. And he's, he's talked about wanting to feel like he belongs to that, wanting to feel that that is part of his educational process, even if it was only a finishing school for him. Even if he wasn't, you know, he didn't mm. come through the whole system. Um, I think he was yeah, eight, right. 18, was he, when he joined Barcelona? Or maybe 17, I'm not sure. So he gets the very end of, of, of his kind of footballing education, if you like, there. But I think it's important. I also think there is, you know, and, and, and let's, let's look at this from a functional point of view. And I think we should look at it from a functional point of view. I think it's in, entirely right to do that. There is an economic reality to this. And generally speaking, when kids really get opportunities is when the club have injuries or financial problems and those opportunities open up I think what Barcelona are is quite a nice combination of the two things that there is a conviction Mm. um, to the process so there is a conviction and a commitment to bringing kids through and giving them opportunities but fundamentally of course that first team has to win so you do go and sign Robert Lewandowski and had Lewandowski been fit then he doesn't play last night um, yeah. But those two things come together. So you have the process creating these players. And remember, we've had this conversation in recent years, I would say about maybe four years ago, possibly five, there was that discussion of it. Why isn't it happening anymore? Well, partly because those pathways were blocked, partly because it, there were one or two little flaws in the way that it was being done. But the underlying, uh, I, and I hate this phrase, but I can't think of another one, so apologies for using it. The underlying production line was still rolling, if you sort of mm. mean, even if that final stage wasn't always easy to take. And I also think it's worth looking at individual cases to just to just to say that it's not always, you know, the underlying thing is there, the conditions are there, the talent is there, the coaching is there, the identity is there, but it's also remembering individual cases. And for example, the, the mm. real push for Gavi came from the national team almost before it came from Barcelona. And that was that was really yeah. interesting, yeah. I think, because that shows you that each case has elements that make it different. Now, of course, in the case of Mark Gee, he plays last night when he might not have done had it not been for injuries. But the fact that he did what he did now increases his chances of playing next time. Hmm. And, uh, and I loved what um, Cancelo said to him. Did you see what Cancelo said to him post-game? I did. You've got to invite us all for dinner now, probably at McDonald's. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's, 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 that's good of him. You know, he didn't say, 
somewhere somewhere expensive. It's probably still within his budget to uh, take everyone out for uh, for McDonald's, uh, and they uh, he deserves it as well. And everyone deserves a, a McDonald's celebratory McDonald's for uh, for Mark Gu. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit get 30, bit get 20, 20, 20, bit get 20, 20, bit get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Uh, let's move on because there's there's, no, there's loads of other stuff for us to talk about. We haven't specifically spoken about the Barca Athletic uh, game, but um, if you want us to talk about that, send us a question. We'll answer it on the Q&A pod. Uh, Sevilla 1, Real Madrid 1. You had headed down to the Estadio Ramon Sanchez Pijuan for Sergio Ramos's facing off against Real Madrid. First time in 18 years, was it, that he was coming up against his, yep. his former side. God, he played well. I mean, he just rose he really to the did. occasion. I mean, it was a really, really typical Sergio Ramos performance, wasn't it? It was. It was Ramos Ramosing in. It was, it, was, <laughs> it was Sergio Ramos distilled. It was everything <laughs> you could ask Ramos to do, he did, except for the late, late, late goal. And he so nearly did that as well. So it's 93.52. You know how I love a clock, even if the stadiums themselves don't show them, which infuriates me. Uh, I've been writing about this day, and I was thinking, yeah, that was Ramos time on Ramos day. And the cross (laughs) comes in. Kepa doesn't get to it. He climbs all over Rudiger. He's way above him. And he gets his head on it, and he's three yards out. And, you know, Mm. Ramos would normally score that. And it went over. And you thought that would have been the most Ramosy thing of all time. Yeah. And, yeah. and it was a real Ramosy performance. I mean, it was always quite likely to be, I suppose, in a game like this. It was his kind of game. It was tough. It was aggressive. It was feisty. But you look at the things that he did in this game. Like, he's one minute in and he takes out Rodrigo. And you think, OK, any doubts that Ramos might be a little bit soft on his old team? Forget that. He takes out Jude Bellingham at one point as well, and Bellingham's running away and just, you know, basically kicks him. I mean, it's, it's, mm. it's not subtle at all. He has the confrontation with Rudiger where he grabs Rudiger by the, by the cheeks, you know, like, a, yeah. like kind of an old grandmother going, oh, who's a coochie baby then? And he's kind of grabbing him by the cheeks. Then there's a lovely bit of footage, which I hadn't seen at the time, which I saw late last night, that after that, Rudiger is shouting at him, and Ramos does this gesture that goes, ooh, you're hard. <laughs> I, just want, I just love the idea of those two. These kind of, there's, there's a great phrase, and, and obviously uh, it made me laugh partly because of the double entendre in it. I will admit that because I'm childish. It was a great phrase in one of the papers. It was, it was, it was Ramos and Rudiger, two cocks fighting in the square. And I thought yeah, that's quite good as well. This sort of idea that this is Ramos all over. He, he's he has an own goal ruled out. I don't know if it counts as an own goal, but that one that gets ruled out for Real Madrid actually comes off him on the way into the net. Um, mm. I've forgotten who it was that scored it now. It's, who is, it? is it Vinicius that scores it? The one that Bellingham is, is offside and it falls. and it. You know what? My mind's gone completely blank. I can't remember who scored it. Valverde. Valverde. 
Thank you, Al. Um, and it, it, it's, it's like the voice of God, that, wasn't it? Just coming in in Valverde. Yeah. And, and that's an own goal for Ramos. You've got the Ramos own goal. You've got the confrontations. You've got, you've got him almost scoring this header at the end. You've got just the whole thing was Ramos. And actually, as you say, he also played brilliantly. More completed passes than anyone in the Sevilla team. More aerial duels won than anyone in the Sevilla team. More ball recoveries than anyone in the team. I think, I think except for Ocampos, I think he was second in that. More tackles than anyone in the Sevilla team. I actually thought he had a slightly ropey start. In fact, I thought the whole Sevilla team had a really ropey start, 15 minutes or so. But then I thought Sevilla played really, really well. Uh, and so did Real Madrid, by the way. I mean, you know, not in a kind of not in an academic sense. It wasn't a great game in terms of the technical quality, I don't think. But it had a bit of everything. It was fast. It was intense. There were chances made. There were things happening. Uh, there was a totally out of his depth referee for what it's worth as well. Um, and, and a couple of pretty oh, yes. controversial decisions that went against, against Real Madrid quite early on. Two goals ruled out. Actually, for what it's worth, I think one of them ruled out is completely right. I think the other one is right, but horrendously badly handled. Um, and then there's, a, then there's a potential penalty, which... Frankly, I think he's a penalty. Uh, but it was a it was a really, really enjoyable game. And it was Ramos all over. He then goes into the Madrid dressing room afterwards. He's there with them. So kind of almost an hour post-game. I was actually pretty much the only person left in the stadium when he left. I was still on the mm-hmm. pitch doing doing connections. And, and he walked past. And he's kind of waving on his way out. It's got, that is just Sergio Ramos all over. Certainly was. Ramos unchained uh, in that in that 1-1 draw for, uh, for Sevilla against Real Madrid. We were talking after the game and I asked if you'd seen a video which was captured and you said... Yeah, which I hadn't. Well, you said yeah. you hadn't seen it. And the video is of a young child um, making a monkey gesture to Vinicius. Yeah. And you hadn't seen it and you'd come away from the game and it was the day after and you, your words were, oh my God. Of course, you were horrified at the... Um, at the sight of this, but also you just felt that this just conditions your experience at the game. So you came away from that stadium thinking, I've just, you know, witnessed a great game, great, uh, great spectacle. And, and then this just brings, brings everything down. And of course, we're talking about it again. There is this video of a child racially abusing Vinicius. There was a picture of a grown man uh, doing the same monkey gesture to Vinicius. It was caught on camera. Sevilla acted quickly. They found the individual. They've bound him, banned him for life. Here we are again, talking about Vinicius. Here I am again, seeing people justifying the abuse because of Vinicius's actions. And it's just Mm. staggering that people can't get through their head, certainly here, that the victim of racism is, it's never, it's not their fault. They haven't done anything. Nothing that they do, nothing that they do merits that. Nothing. It doesn't matter if you like them or not. It doesn't matter if you, they annoy you or not. That is not an excuse for what we see in the um, yeah. in the stands. It's happened again. It will happen again. And then here we are talking about it again, Sid. Yeah, just, a, just a, a few things to kind of put in because it's a little bit of me that feels that there's almost nothing you can add because, because as you say, because we've been here before. Um and, and obviously, look, it's not about me, but I think in, I, th- I think it's a, a, an interesting kind of well, not an interesting. That's that's stupid. A, a kind of a, a, a relevant way of expressing it is exactly as you say. You mm. leave a game like that, and you think this is brilliant. What a place this is. What a great game this is. And and then the next morning you see that, and you, think, oh, fuck, you know, he, it, it feels like this kind of 
it, it just it's just horrible and it's and mm. it's grim and it and it diminishes everything absolutely everything and no that's not the worst part of racism absolutely not that it diminishes diminishes the the experience of the game itself but it is part of that kind of sense of are we are we here again um mm. there was a moment in the game and I, I to be honest with you, I can't remember what it was I think it probably was during that moment actually that the cameras are caught um when there was a there's a confrontation by by the end of the ground um Vinicius pushes pushes over the the severe goalie Nyland doesn't push him very hard I think Nyland Nyland goes down a little bit easily there's a bit of a confrontation and I was sitting pitch side with earphones in and I thought I really hope that's not what I think it is and took the earphone out and I was trying to listen I think and Genuinely, I was relieved because I thought, no, that's booing. That's not monkey chanting, mm. it's booing. They're mm. booing him. Great. Okay, that's fine. And then, of course, you see this footage and say, okay, at least some people were monkey chanting. You don't know how many. It's impossible to know. And, of course, it's also very difficult. At, at what point can you, how far can you continue to, to, you know, can you stop the actions of one or two or ten people? It's really, really difficult, which is why you have to act against it. And and actually, Vinicius himself said this. It was, I think, to Sevilla's credit, that they spotted this and they acted yeah. and they identified before this became a thing. This isn't that there was a big mm. noise about it and people said, isn't this disgraceful? And Sevilla then acted, which, by the way, would be understandable because they may mm. not necessarily have seen it, but that they'd done it themselves and they chased it. And Vinicius himself said, good, this is what we need to do. It's terribly depressing to see um, footage of a kid that looks like, uh, I must admit, I can't tell if it's he or she, it doesn't really matter, a kid that looks like they, he or she, is not much more than, I don't know, 10, 11 years old, um, clearly doing a monkey gesture. Now, this makes me very uneasy because there's two things here. One of them is it's very sad and it's almost worse. But then also I'm very conscious that this is a kid and this is either learned behaviour or mimicked behaviour or it's of somewhere course. in there, a kid, a kid that hasn't fully appreciated the significance of this. And so I'm really uneasy about the prospect of us wading in on a kid who has got time to learn. No, 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 no. We're uh, not wading in on a kid. No, well, we're not certainly going to not no. going to wade in on a kid. No, 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 no. But but it, but it makes it it makes it even sadder in a way, doesn't it? Because you think, yeah. you know, because it is possible, and 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 it's not the right attitude. But I have, I, I must confess, I think I have probably fallen into this trap before. Sometimes to kind of write off racism from a certain generation and think, well, you know, that'll go because what's coming through is better because we're dealing with it if, if, if only at generational level. And then when you see this, it, it kind of sets you mm. back and it feels, mm. you know, just, just, just horrendous. Um, I suppose, as I say, the good news is that there is acting upon it. The good news is that Sevilla's message unequivocally was this, we do not want these people here. However mm. much of a Sevilla fan they, they, they are or they think they are, we do not want this, um, but it's yeah, it's 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 grim and, and and again, look, it's not about me, but there is kind of that sadness that the following day you think, oh god. Now, I was just thinking mm. how brilliant this Pichuan is. What a great event this was. What a great you know what a great set of fans these are, and obviously this can still be a great set of fans, despite the because because the numbers involved in this hopefully are very few, but mm. obviously we'd like them to be none at all. Certainly would, certainly would. So uh, that was uh, Real Madrid's visit to uh, Sevilla. Barcelona beating Athletic Club. It's El Clasico next weekend. Barcelona hosting Real Madrid, just a point separating them. Real Madrid atop, Barcelona a third. In between them are Girona, who beat Almeria, as we said, 5-2. You know the hashtag. Uh, There were some very interesting comments, by the way, at half-time in this game. 
we've got this new innovation this season in Spanish football where we've got a, a half-time interview with a player as they're coming off the uh, pitch. It, usually it's relatively inane, don't tend to get too many uh, headlines uh, from it, but Girona's David Lopez coming off the pitch was absolutely incensed at the referee. He said the referee, it's impossible to work in these conditions. He's so arrogant. He insults us and everybody in the first division knows it. Well, the um, the CTA, the uh, Technical Committee of uh, Referees, released a statement saying that they listened back to the VAR audio of the game and the referee, Ortiz Arias, uh, Arias was not disrespectful or insulting. And they've asked Girona for an apology. So this is, uh, this is quite a storm that's brewed here, Sydney. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, they got an apology from Girona already. Um, ah, but not from David Lopez. <laughs> no, not from David Lopez. Um, so from the manager, Lopez. yes. It's, it's, very, it's very interesting because you get David Lopez, as you say, pulled over at half-time. And as he's waiting for it to go live, because obviously there's a little bit of a delay between the reporter saying, right, are you ready? OK, let's go live. The camera's on him. And you can see him pointing at the stands going, get him out here. Get him to interview you as well. You know, interview, mm. interview him, interview the referee. And he mm. goes off on one. And to be mm. fair, I, I, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to lie here. I found it quite entertaining, to be perfectly honest with you. I'm not going to deny it. Um, and then post-game, you get... Michel does the post-game interview with the same TV channel that has the rights. I think it was DAZN, but it might have been La Liga TV. Uh, sorry, Movie Star. It doesn't really matter. And, 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 and he takes quite a long time to do the interview. And the reporter's first question is, why is it taking you so long? And he says, because mm. I've been in the referee's room apologising to him. And mm. he says, and David... To be fair, Michel really actually basically makes David very clearly the bad guy because this isn't him mm. saying, I've apologised on his behalf, but, you know, you can understand getting wound up. He said David was already angry about, and it's, it's pretty minor stuff, about wearing a ring and wanting to tape it up and not being allowed. And then the referee notices a little wristband he's wearing and he's not allowed to take that up either. And he got himself wound up about it. And with mm. that and the game and going a couple of goals down and the tension and stuff, he, he, he said things he shouldn't have said. There is no attempt whatsoever to say... But yeah, the referee's a bit of a dick or anything like that. Mm. No attempt whatsoever mm. from Mitchell. Um, and the fact that, as you say, that the CTA are saying they've listened and there's no sense of insulting. For what it's worth, I think the word insult can be quite broad. I mean, I don't think the referee necessarily needs to have called him, you know, a dickhead or a moron or an idiot or whatever for, for the point to stand that maybe the referee's behaviour with players is condescending mm. or mm. patronising or, or, or aggressive with them or whatever it may be. Um, and I think the word insult can actually be a bit broader than just the use of bad words. Mm. Um, and, and so this may still provoke a next step. But given Michel's post-game response, I think probably what Girona will do, if nothing else so as not to have any kind of comeback, will be just to apologise. Uh, and David, David Lopez will probably be told to apologise. Um, but it's very interesting because I think, I think there is... I think there is a, a worthwhile point here is that we talk a lot and I'm, I'm actually very indulgent and possibly too indulgent of footballers behaving badly towards referees in the sense that I always think, you know, the amount of tension in the game, I think we have to understand what's, you know, the, the, the speed with which everything's happening. The fact that mm. a bad decision is bound to make people respond badly at times. I actually think players sometimes get booked for really minor things. Mm. Uh, but not necessarily insulting a referee, but saying, oh, come on, or, you know, that can't be that decision, or what are you talking about, or what are you given, and so on. There's really interesting footage, by the way, of, of Ancelotti talking to the referee in the Seville game. 
Um, and and I, I'm surprised he didn't get booked, but I'm actually quite glad he didn't get booked because I think within I think the he did context get of it, did, oh sorry, he did get booked, but I don't know if it was on that particular moment. I'm not no. sure now. I'm not sure. Basically, he tells the referee not to touch him. Referee comes over mm. to have a conversation to explain, and I actually think that's good for the referee to do that. And I actually think it's wrong of Anshotti to say don't touch me, but I can understand don't why he's angry. Don't, don't touch no, no, me. I don't, don't touch me. I don't want to hear this. Go away. I don't want to hear this. Anyway, um, but I think I think that can that those that I'm fairly indulgent of players with that because I understand the tension. I understand that what the Spanish always refer to as revolutions. You know, there's a thousand revolutions at the time, and they're 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 wound up and they're they're going for it. But I also think within that context, quite often I'm surprised that referees don't act more badly, given the kind of mm-hmm. shit that they have to put up with. Quite frankly, and there's a famous bit of footage from. El de después, which was this, uh, I mean, it still exists on Mondays, but it used to be very much kind of a revelatory show and they, they would have cameras at grounds and they would pick up on things you didn't notice. And there's a really famous bit of footage where the linesman tells a player to go and, to use the Spanish phrase, go and take by the bum, which is basically sod off, but, but in, in the way that Spanish say, toma por culo. And the player notices that the camera is right there. And he turns to the camera and goes, did you hear what he just said? And you actually see the cameraman nod because the wow. camera goes up and up and down. <laughs> no one likes a grass. Yeah. yeah. So I wonder. I wonder what will happen. I mean, hopefully nothing really happens, and and it's just something that makes everyone sort of realise that yeah, people are going to lose their head once in a while. Uh, they are. They are. Uh, it would be remiss of us not to briefly reflect, at least, on the fact that Antoine Griezmann is now seven. Uh, uh, goals behind yeah. uh, Luis Aragonés as Atletico Madrid's all-time top goal scorer is on 165. Uh, Luis Aragonés is on 172. He's going to pass surpass him uh, very very soon and really cement him himself as extraordinary uh, legend for uh, for Atletico Madrid. He's one of the best players in Europe at the moment. I think it's fair to say uh, the level yeah. of uh, performances week in week out. Uh, Diego Simeone said they need to they need to look after him. Uh, as well, because he is 32. And I guess the, the temptation from Simeone is to literally play him every game, every week, because he's so difficult to drop, because there's no one that can do what Antoine Griezmann there's, can do. There is no one that can do what he does. And, and actually, that was Simeone, what Simeone was getting at, wasn't it? His post-game, he said, we need to protect him, but... <laughs> he said, yeah. I can't, I've got to play him. So when he gets yeah. the hat-trick, he takes him off. He says, all right, your work here yeah. is done. Uh, and for what it's worth, it's not the greatest hat-trick of all time. One of them's a penalty no. and one of them's the fluke. And he even said after the game, he said, I apologise to Morata because it was supposed to be a cross and it went in. Um, but he is a brilliant player. I've said this before, but allow me to repeat myself. I think there have been at least two years when he should have been a very strong Ballon d'Or candidate. And I think he hasn't been talked about enough. I think he's hugely underrated. I think he's a far better player than, than, than he's often given credit for. I think he is a far better player than the way he... He acts, which is part of the reason why he's an even mm. better player. Um, and this is something I, I think I remember saying once about Luis Suarez, but, uh, but it's certainly true of Griezmann as well. He's a brilliant player who plays like he was a rubbish one. Who, to, who does uh, the work. To Uruguayan legends, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Maybe there's something in that. Yes. I mean, genuinely, maybe mm. there is something in that in terms of the mindset. He's, he's so intelligent. He uses the ball so well. He plays all over the pitch. And this is one of the reasons why Atletico can't replace him. Because it's not just a case of there's no one of Griezmann's level. There's no one who Griezmann's like. There's mm. no one who plays his kind of game. There's no one who has his kind of role, who can do all of the things that he does, who has just a brilliant attitude towards the game, who's incredibly clever, who sees passes early, who scores goals, who defends, who for a little guy is extraordinary in the air. He's 
he, I just think he's a wonderful footballer. The only thing he hasn't got maybe is incredible pace. He's not exceptionally quick, although he's not slow, but he's not exceptionally quick. Um, and, and obviously, I think the, the, the only thing really in his career that he did wrong was choose to go to the only club in the world that had a player in his position who was better than him. Hmm. I mean, genuinely, I, I genuinely think at that time, I can't think of maybe Neymar, but it's different. It's not the same sort of player. That kind of idea of a guy who can be a number 10 and be a number nine at the same time and can almost be an eight if he needs to be. Um, I, I suppose Bellingham. We're looking at a Bellingham sort of figure, maybe, except the Griezmann is a forward who's become those things, whereas Bellingham is a midfielder who's sort of becoming a forward. He's sort of an inverse Bellingham. Yeah, it's exactly. The process yeah. is, is maybe the other way around. But I, I think he's brilliant. And, and I, yeah, I really admire him. I, really, I mean, he's a slightly yeah. funny character. I think he's slightly... He, he, he has, I think, a, a sort of... I would call it an emotional fragility, but it's not manifest in him as a player, if you see what I mean. Mm. So I think mm. it's there, but I don't think it's manifest in him as a player. And this is kind of different to what we've talked about with Morata. I, I think he's brilliant. Completely brilliant. Uh, don't we all? Uh, viva Griezmann. Uh, before we go, in the Segunda, uh, Leganes are top on 25 mm. points. They won 1-0 at the uh, then-leaders Espanyol on Friday night. Behind them, Espanyol, Levante and Tenerife all have 25 points. Uh, Oviedo played out a thrilling goalless draw. Uh, Amore Bieta. Yeah, I missed the last 15 minutes of that. It wasn't very good. Oh, the, no. the, the, si- wow. the 60 or so I watched weren't very good. But just about when Santi came on the pitch and I thought, oh, we really might win now, I missed because obviously being at Seville, I had the uh, producer standing behind the camera on the promise to tell me that he would tell me if Oviedo scored. And my okay. phone kept beeping, but I couldn't look at it, obviously. And every time it beeps, I kind of looked at him and he's like, no, 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 not yet. <laughs> Uh, yes, a narrator's voice. They did not score. Uh, goal no, was exactly. at Amore Vieta. <laughs> uh, this week, uh, Tuesday night, we've got Sevilla against Arsenal. You'll be uh, there, Sydney. It uh, should be yep. good. Uh, Braga against Real Madrid and Benfica, Real Sociedad. Okay. That's, a, that's an interesting game. Then Celta, uh, Celta. Celtic against uh, Atletico Madrid on Wednesday. Barcelona against Shakhtar. And on Thursday, we've got the mighty Aris Limassol against Real Betis. Wow. Aris Limassol, they're not even they're not even the they're not even the second biggest team in Limassol, but they're somehow in the uh, in the Europa League. The the the, the Limassol that was was Apollon, wasn't it? Apollon and Ael and yeah. Aris are newcomers with uh, they got some Russian money there, and it's ah, taken them all right. the way all the way to the Europa League to face the mighty Real Betis. And that's what's coming up this week in terms of Spanish football teams in action. We've got the Clasico next week uh, as well, next weekend. So I dare say we'll be mentioning that on the bonus podcast and a lot on next Monday's podcast, I'm sure. Uh, Join us at patreon.com forward slash TSFP if you want more Spanish football podcast, impeccably priced as well. Really, really good value. And if you don't, if you say no, not paying for it, I just want the free stuff that's fine. We'll not hold it against you, but we will do another free podcast for you uh, next Monday. So we'll see you then. Adios. Cheerio.